So today we're talking to Mike Thompson. Hi, Mike. Hi, Jacek. Mike uh, is the creator of Reframe, and we'll focus our discussions today on this. So, uh, Mike, what is Reframe? <laughs> okay. Um, I guess I can answer that now. A few different ways. Uh, the easy way is probably to say that it's um, it's a uh, it's a framework in ClojureScript for writing more complicated um, user interfaces, the sort of ones that might be called SPAs or um, traditionally. Um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 a framework. It's not a library, um, and it leverages a wonderful library. Uh, from Dan Holstead called Reagent. So uh, yeah, it's 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 a it's a framework that you might turn to if you needed to do some SPAs in ClojureScript. In I guess that's the simplest way of describing it. Okay, you know there is uh, there is one thing that struck you when you go into the Reframe GitHub repo, which is the README. Hmm. Um, how did how did you end up writing so much about this? <laughs> yes. Uh, I guess I I find that I think best when I write, and so that uh, that readme really started off as a just a set of notes for my team uh, because our intention was just to use Reframe internally. In fact, that wasn't even really the intention initially. It was really just to see can we do this. So we started doing it, and then I found that I was doing a lot of reading and a lot of research and a lot of understanding. And uh, so I started writing up notes, very brief notes for sort of the team. And then I just noticed that the, you know, the notes started to get um, longer and, the, uh, and uh, I started enjoying the process. Uh, there's, a, you know, there's a longer backstory to do with Reframe. But, um, uh, yeah, I, look, I was thoroughly enjoying myself when I was writing it. And I, maybe that comes through because I... Uh, <laughs> I, I got my jokes going and I was uh, in a very good place when I was enjoying myself developing Reframe. So, yeah, sort of that came along. I guess um, writing is not always something that's come very naturally to me. So uh, I remember at university I completely dodged an entire topic at university in my final year so I just didn't have to be write an essay. Um, so uh, I guess uh, I... I uh, Look, I, uh, part of my backstory, I guess, is that I'm an older programmer, so I'm about 57 these days. Probably when I started writing Reframe, I was about 54 or so, 53. And so I've kind of learned over the years the importance of documentation. So while at the very beginning of my life, my programming life, I wasn't a very enthusiastic um, documenter, I've kind of got through to the point where I realise how important it is and, and really you've just got to write everything down. It's everything becomes so much more clear once you actually do. Um, for anyone interested in writing, I'd recommend a book which was a bit of a turning point for me, which is a book called Style, um, kind of Towards Clarity and Grace. It's by a guy called Joseph Williams. I probably read that about 20 years ago, and I find myself rereading it about every five years and still marvelling at what a wonderful book it is. So, um, yeah, I, it, it was a labour of love. Uh, I think my tip for anyone writing documentation is write really badly to start with. Like, do not attempt to write well to start with. I think it was one of the great authors, something like Hemingway said, it's not how you write that counts, it's how you edit. And so uh, just do the worst possible job initially just to get something down on paper. Uh, give yourself permission to do that. 
And then after that, it's all just editing. So that's really how Reframe Readmate came about. It was a whole lot of note, notes written down, me learning, and then very slowly it was just edited out into something else. It took a long time. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's encouraged a lot of people towards Reframe just because it's got probably better documentation than an awful lot of other libraries out there. If you want your library to be used well, you're going to have to write good documentation. That's the bottom line. So, right. yeah, we put the effort Yeah, in. I think we all we all enjoy the, the readme, especially I remember when I started and I read it through and I was like, holy crap, this is pretty good. <laughs> you know? Well, actually, on that point, I would stress one thing. Scott Adams, who's the creator of Dilbert, um, mm-hmm. He, uh, he's a professional sort of funny guy, right? And he sort of says that probably about 30% of the OU population genuinely, um, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but they genuinely don't have a sense of humour. Um, and so although, you know, I write for, the, um, for myself as much as anything, mm-hmm. so I like writing that way, so that's the way I'm going to write. But sort of I am aware that there's quite a few people, you know, some percentage of the population for whom that style of writing really doesn't work. Uh, you know, they experience anything that I might consider as humorous as really just an annoying roadblock, you know. Um, and so, you know, you've got to take into account that if I am using that sort of style, that there's a certain number of people for whom it isn't really going to work that well. But anyway, um, you know, as I said, I write for myself, so um, and that it amuses me to write, write it that way, so that's why I do it. There we go. Yeah. So you mentioned you have been uh, doing development for a long time. So how did we end up with the architecture sort of decisions in with Reframe? Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I sometimes feel, you know, uh, at the end of that movie, Blade Runner, there's uh, Rockahoy sits down and says things like, um, what does he say? He sort of says, uh, you people wouldn't believe the things that I've seen or something like that. Well, that's that's how it is a bit when you're an older programmer, right? I, I guess I've done a lot of programming before the web even came along, a lot of UI-related work. So I, I, I had plenty of time to stub my toe on just about every problem out there and to make all sorts of mistakes. And, you know, I programmed in the MFC and in something called Interviews, which was a truly beautiful C++ library many years ago and uh, and I was kind of annoying I was I was dragged towards um, the web you know we knew that the web was the way forward you know we just had to be in the web that was in the early 2000s and um, but of course that was a, an era of IE in fact we were even up to IE6 at that time we probably weren't like really programming a browser at that time was just horrible and so we actually chose flash um early in 2000s and we programmed in flash we did all of our guis in flash and that was just a remarkably good experience you know it was that there was a library that they had called flex and honestly that was just a delight to work in that compared with anything else was just an absolute delight so but sometime around 2010 or so, it started to become obvious that Flash was not going to go any further. And, and frankly, I was a little bit annoyed at that time because Flash had been so good for us. We created so many great analytical kind of user interfaces using Flash 
you know, full vector graphics, wonderful libraries. It was just marvellous. And so I was kind of like not very happy, frankly, when when it looked like Flash wasn't going further. And we started looking around for um, alternatives. I knew I didn't want to be programming in JavaScript because the JavaScript of that time was a pretty terrible JavaScript. I know it's improved a lot now, but back then it was sort of pretty ordinary language, really. And so we looked at Dart, you know, as one possibility. We looked at um, well, CoffeeScript by that stage was getting a little bit long in the tooth. It, you know, it was apparent that that wasn't going to work for too much longer. Um, we looked at Dart, we looked at other possibilities. And, and of course, at about that time, Paul Graham was writing or a little bit before a lot about Lisp. And so we went and tried Clojure Script, Clojure Script. At that time, there was no React. And so I looked at Clojure Script for a long time, but really there was just people at that time, just using kind of Angular, but trying to do it from ClojureScript. And I thought, well, you know, that's not great. And then all of a sudden, of course, um, React hit. And in the ClojureScript community, two libraries hit almost simultaneously. One of them was ARM and one of them was Reagent. And um, they came out at almost exactly the same time. And uh, that for, they kind of followed a little bit of a harrowing time for me because I was really only just getting into functional programming at that time. And and OM was very popular at that time, um, and uh, and I kept on looking at Reagent and thinking I prefer Reagent, but I'm missing something because everyone. So it was kind of a harrowing time because we were having to make a uh, you know one of those bet the company type of decisions about what we did next as we left behind Flash, and um, and so look after a while it took a good six months. Um, uh, I really did convince myself that, yes, Reagent was the right way to go. And, of course, you know, it's turned out historically that, yeah, that was a good decision. But sort of, um, but we also knew because we'd written so many GUIs over the years that Reagent wasn't nearly enough. Um, and it was just, it was a wonderful Reagent. I just remember my delight in discovering it. Um, but sort of uh, it wasn't enough because there's a lot more that you have, there's a lot more architectural sort of decisions you have to make beyond how you're just going to render your DOM. And uh, and there were probably three main influences at that time. One of them was something called Pedestal App. You know, we're, uh, most closure people would be very familiar with Pedestal, but at that time, there was another library now abandoned, which was called Pedestal App, um, written by the, the the people at Cognitech, and um, there was also uh, Hoplon, um, which was uh, you know a reactive, uh, another ClojureScript reactive um, uh, library, um, which was just terrific, you know, uh, um, just just a, a wonderful library, and and then there was also Elm early versions of Elm going on at the time. Um, the official Elm architecture hadn't been published at that time. In fact, it wasn't published until pretty much the same time as Refrain came out. But I did look at Elm and I did have a look at some of the games and, the, and this React. It was really Hoplon which convinced me to go and look at Elm because uh, Hoplon convinced me that the whole reactive sort of approach was a really good one. And then I looked at Elm and they kind of did reactivity in a slightly different way and... And somehow out of that synthesis of the early Elm games, Hoplon, Pedestal App, and also OM, there were there was some, some 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 stuff that 
David Nolan wrote in the advanced tutorial, I remember, for OM, which kind of gave me the idea for subscriptions. And, uh, you know, so it was a synthesis, synthesis I can't say it right, uh, coming out of those things at that time. And, uh, you know, uh, look, ultimately, Reframe's really simple, like it's 600 lines of code. In fact, yeah, it's about 600 lines of code. There's not a lot in it. The, the you know, other things that were happening for me at the time was I was starting to understand more about CQRS sort of as a back-end architecture and uh, just the whole data flow thing um, was uh, was on my mind. So, it, yeah, it was a really fun time for me. An older programmer, I got to immerse myself in a whole new world and sort of that's where Reframe came from, I, I guess, just a synthesis of all those things. I don't think I've really explained kind of how the architecture ended up what it was, but I, I'm not sure I could give you a very clear explanation about why. It was just something that grew out of all that, you know, reading all that material and being under pressure to sort of come up with a new new approach to things. Um, so, yeah, that's the history, I guess, somewhat of where Reframe came from. That was... Right. Uh, so... Hmm. Yeah, that, that's great. So, uh, so how how is this all coming together? What are the most important pieces, and how can you can we just try to explain this a bit to someone mm -hmm. who is not maybe so front end and SPAs and all this stuff? Yeah, um, yeah. SPA stands for single page application. So, what that means is that uh, there's a continuum, I guess, between two types of web application. On the one end of the continuum, you have applications where which talk don't talk very much to the back end, to a back end server, and they're very kind of self-contained, those sort of applications. I guess that's the ultimate sort of single-page application is an application which almost never talks to the server. It's mostly about the front end. And then on the other end of that continuum, you have kind of applications which um, are really the thinnest of veneer over the top of a back-end database. You know, uh, you know they're very formish and very, um, you know, uh, virtually every button press involves a round trip to the server. Um, most of our applications are really on the SPA end. Uh, most of our applications are analytical. We, you know, we, our applications tend to talk to a server, you know, um, uh, now and then they don't bother talking to the server again for another 20 minutes. Uh, while the user does a whole lot of analytical work using data that they obtained from the server up front. Now that's changing a little bit. We're, you know, we're tending to do more traditional sort of applications these days, but um, certainly at the time when Reframe was created, we wanted something that was just a really good to, uh, toolkit for GUIs. And, and, and the thing is, my background is I've done programming in Smalltalk. I've done programming in, you know, C++. So, you know, as I said, the MFC. So, all of those sort of QT, et cetera. So I've seen all the GUI toolkits in the world and uh, we weren't writing applications which were, you know, uh, thin layers over a back-end database. We were writing quite sophisticated, thick clients and we needed something for that. So that's um, that was the driver for us. Um, and that does colour what you want from your, um, from your uh, framework. And as a result, Reframe is very much a front-end thing. You know, the back-end is up to you doesn't attempt to be a back-end and front-end thing um, because, you know, we, we tended to write those thicker SPAs. Um, Yatsek, I feel like you asked me a question there and I've managed to divert myself away from uh, <laughs> what the question was. Sorry, what was the question again? 
I was thinking about maybe talking about the dominoes. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. The whole mod, the whole model of the of the browser. Yeah. So, um, I uh, one of the things that we like to talk about with Closure, I guess, and Closure Script is that we've got we're very data oriented. So, um, I guess one useful way to think about Reframe is that it. Um, uh, it's a series of dominoes. Uh, I, there's six dominoes in the process. Um, uh, it all starts with an event. You know, an event occurs, and in Closure Script uh, or in Reframe, we represent that event as data. You know, that that data that data it's a vector gets dispatched, which represents what event has occurred. And so, for example, that event might be the user clicking on a button, or it might be a packet arriving from the back end. You know, server through a web uh, through a web socket or some, some something like that. That's the two most common sort of events. Might be a timer firing. Something occurs up until the moment that that event occurs. Of course, the application is just sitting there doing nothing. Effectively, it's um, it's completely quiet. And then an event occurs, and so that event is represented as data, and that's the first of the dominoes. The second of the dominoes is that we have to once the event occurs, there has to be some logic to say. Okay, we were in one state. The world was a particular way before this event occurred. Now the event has occurred, and after we process this event, the world and the application is going to be in another state. So we need a handler, and this is the second, effectively what the second domino is, a handler which is going to take the state of the world now and the event, and it is going to compute how the world should change, and we call those effects. So that we, the second um, domino is let's compute, given the current state of the world, the current state of the application, all the rest of that stuff, what, uh, how should this event change the world? And in that projection, we produce a series of effects. The third domino is that those effects are then actioned. So what I should say is the second domino produces a data representation of the effects that we want. The second domino does not change the world at all. It just computes data, and that data represents the, um, uh, the the effects that are required. The third step actually actions the effects, so it's the kind of mutative side-affecting part um, where, for example, that may involve you know, new connections to the back-end server, may involve writing cookies. It could involve, uh, um, you know, uh, in particular, the one that happens more than any other is just the uh, the state of the application itself may get updated in a very transactional sort of way. In a single transaction, the um, the the piece of state that represent uh, sorry the the data that represents the state of the application is updated in one go. And so that's the first three dominoes. Um, and then there are three subsequent dominoes after that point where we have just side affected the world effectively. And those three dominoes are all about, um, they're the reactive part of the, the architecture, which says, okay, well, we've just updated the world. Let's now re-render the application to reflect the changed state of the world. And so dominoes four, five, and six are, are all to do with how do we flow data from the state of the application through into functions which re-render it. And, of course, underneath all of this, we're using React, and what React does is that it uh, it will, you know, with VDOM stuff, it will update the least amount on the screen that possible. 
be very clever in its um, in its updates. And uh, so we've recomputed completely how the the UI should look. And um, uh, and as a result, we you know uh, we perform the minimum number of updates to the UI in order to bring it you know into alignment with that newly computed state. Um, I've jumped over. You know, Domino's four, five, and six. I haven't gone into them in a lot of details, but for, uh, you know, Domino four is subscriptions. Subscriptions is a reactive way of of uh, for flowing data from the application state to the views, so that the views can re-render. And um, I guess the the re-rendering process is done with Reagent. I mentioned before that we use a library called Reagent. And then, you know, the final step six is uh, the cleverness that React brings to it, which is to make sure that we only render what we need to. Now, that's one way of looking at it, six six dominoes. Um, Another another way of looking at it, which I, I find useful, is to say, look, really, what Reframe does for you is it conveys data for you. So each one of these dominoes really is a function. And we know that a function takes some data and it produces some data, right? Uh, it returns a value. And so really, it, it is, this isn't quite right, but it's a good enough mental model to have. So pretty much each of these dominoes is all about um, reframe supporting you to have functions, and it's going to do the, the transport of data through the functions that you provide. Each of your functions effectively provide a phase change on the data, they, you know, they take some data and they produce some other data. And so an awful lot of what Reframe does is it allows you just to write pure functions um, and, you know, that get hooked up at certain points in this, this six domino sequence. And so you get to write in a functional world, nice pure functions in the main. And uh, uh, it's up to Reframe, I, I guess, to cascade data through the six um, through the six phases so that uh, you, the the user of the framework, get to write mostly pure functions because um, there's a lot of mucky stuff that has to happen, you know, side effecty stuff that has to happen. when, you, For example, when you dispatch an event, when an event occurs, it's got to go on a queue. You know, that's a stateful kind of, you know, side effecty thing. But Reframe looks at that after that for you. You don't have to worry about that. So really what Reframe is doing is it's, you know, looking up after the side effecty side of things so that you, the programmer, get to sort of work in a very pure way. Mm-hmm. Reframe, uh, Reframe also comes with um, some other, I don't know if I can call them sub-libraries uh, that mm. help you to actually understand all of this flow. And one of, well, there is uh, Reframe 10x, Yes. Well, look, with every technology, uh, no matter how good is it, how good it is, um, ultimately it's the tooling which dominates. You know, um, mm-hmm. so we could criticise JavaScript, right? <laughs> In many ways. Um, however, one of the things that uh, that is fantastic about JavaScript is, yes, it's the um, it's the uh, uh, you know, it's the size of the community and, and all the activity and all the rest of it. But there's so much effort that goes into tooling. Actually, probably a better example is some of Microsoft's products, right? The one thing that Microsoft does unbelievably well is the tooling. You know, um, uh, you might not like the underlying technology, but it's the tooling which is an absolute killer, um, where, you know, in, in what they do. 
you know, or again, take a database, something like Postgres. You know, Postgres does a particular job, but it's then the tooling around the outside of it, which really makes it a better database often um, compared with other databases. Um, and I guess sort of I realised that about Reframe. Reframe is a particular piece of technology, but after that it's the tooling around the outside of it. I mean, we're very lucky, for example, with ClojureScript. We've got, you know, some fantastic tooling, I think, around the outside of ClojureScript. I mean, um, uh, Bruce Holman's work on FigWheel was just a revelation when that came out. Uh, Darwin's work on, you know, CLJS um, DevTools is just just a complete game changer when that came out. I, I remember it's just absolutely astonishing what a great tool that was. I mean, uh, David Nolan done all the work previously on making sure we had, um, oh, I'm just having a mental blank on it now, yeah, uh, uh, when oh, you... Uh, when you um, when you want to get the right line numbers for your code and all the rest of it, what's it called? Source code mapping. Sorry, and um, and and of course, more recently, we've had Thomas Heller with his work, and um, uh, you know, with Shadow CLJ. So we're we're very lucky with all the tooling. That makes such an enormous difference. It's great that ClojureScript what it is, but it's really the tooling. Um, in fact, a lot of the work on ClojureScript over the last six months seems to have slowed down a little bit on the language itself. Um, Mike Fikes and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, I, I assume that's a bit because we've done, we're we're so far through it, and and now that we've moved to the level of tooling more and more. So I guess I was aware of that with Reframe. So, and, and I'm kind of fascinated by good tooling and good UI. So Reframe 10x, um, it kind of it it's it's spluttered and started and stopped a bit. But um, and I wish we had more time to work on it because. I'd love to do more with Reframe 10x, but really it was, you know, an, a design attempt to sort of give better um, tooling for Reframe. And what that really means is capturing data at the various points in the dominoes, really. It's just giving a, an audit trail of, the, um, of what's occurred. Like uh, I described a series of dominoes falling. Well, I want to see what the data was like at every one of those dominoes. Look, and... Probably one of the things I'm kind of I like the most about Reframe 10x is probably something that people really don't use that much, which is we 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 spent a bit of time last year. Uh, no, actually, it was the year before now. Um, we spent a bit of time doing code tracing. I don't know if you've ever used it or tried to use it, but sort of uh, we hijacked the, uh, the, the we forked a library which is called Debugs. Um, our idea was to kind of work on our own ideas for a while and eventually sort of uh, try to take stuff back into debugs, which we never got to but because we never really quite completed the exercise. But sort of Clojure is such a beautiful language for tracing and I was always really interested to put a good UI on tracing and uh, we kind of worked on that UI and I'm, I'm kind of very pleased with the way that it turned out. It is still slightly half-assed, I'll admit. It isn't as good, you know, as it could be. But, uh, gee, I, you know, I, I, it's something I'd love to do more of. But anyway, you asked about Reframe 10x. Reframe 10x just is a tool for uh, which gives you insight into um, what has happened in, 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 a, in Reframe. And specifically, we, we say that it works at one epoch at a time. And what we mean by that is that an event arrives the dominoes all fall one after the other, and then we go back to the you know, quiescent state of the application. Um, what you want to do as a developer is you want to see exactly what 
how did those six dominoes fall, um, what data was produced, what data was consumed at each step. Um, and if you can see that, if, if we can do our job well enough there with Reframe 10X, in theory, you should never need to put a kind of a print line on the inside of your um, of your program. Um, so in theory, if we do it now, I wouldn't claim that we're at that point yet, but that's the intent with Reframe 10X, that you never need to put a, a print line in there. And the way I'd further describe that is, like, if you write tests, for example, for a piece of code, your tests are always written in terms of data. So I run this function and it's supposed to produce this return value and I'm going to compare it with this data. If you put a print line in a a piece of code, what are you printing out? Well, you're always going to be printing out data. So it's always about the data. So um, Reframe 10X attempts to catch as much of the data that gets produced along the way. It's the most complete trace of data that we can produce. And if we did our job perfectly, you would never need to put in a print line. Um, now, we don't do that. We're, we're certainly not perfect, but we, you know that, that's the goal, that you can just trace through and see what happens. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of, we call it, um, I can't remember quite what we say now, but X-ray glasses for, uh, for reframe. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to see inside the six domino cascade. Right. I, I mean, of course, I know Reframe 10X, and mm. it was also part of the course that I did. There was a whole mm. section explaining each tab of it. Yeah. So there's this application state, the subscription, you mentioned the tracing, yep. and all this stuff. So, yeah. Um, it's, so uh, there's, there's a, also... Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go, go ahead. Uh, well, no, go, go. I ju- just say that it's it's in no way complete, and I'd, uh, I'd love to uh, spend some more time on it, actually, because I think... Closure script has such a good story, or closure in general, has such a good story for, for tracing. Uh, it's kind of a, um, I'm surprised that more is not done in this area to provide really sophisticated GUIs which allow you to inspect trace data combined with your source code. Um, it, it's, uh, yeah, there, it, it just feels like there's so much potential in that area that we haven't quite exploited yet. But anyway, Reframe is a kind of Reframe 10x is a, a first attempt at sort of taking a step along that road. Right. Since we are just using this word so often, you said tracing, tracing, tracing. Why don't mm. we just try to unpack this a bit? Sure. Sure. Oh, okay. So your um, your closure script function is a hierarchy of forms. Um, each one of those forms is executed and return. You know, takes some number of arguments and returns a, uh, a value. Uh, and there's a hierarchy of that. So the data, um, so in some sense, uh, the data flows from one function invocation, you know, which returns a particular value, and that becomes, an, you know, the argument for the next function, et cetera, et cetera. So most of the time when we're doing debugging or if we're trying to understand how a program is working, we're really looking, we're, we're attempting to see, oh, that particular form there what arguments did it get and what return value did it provide? And we can stick in our print lens or, or whatever to try and figure that out. But if we could trace all the forms, and by that I mean if we could see what the arguments were and what the return value was of every single form, then without having to stick in a print lens, and if we could see the trace of the, the execution trace is probably the term I should have been using, sorry. If I could see the execution trace of all the forms, then in many respects I, I, don't, need a, uh, I don't need to stick a, debug, a, um, uh, a breakpoint anywhere 
and I don't need to uh, I don't need to stick a print run anywhere. Why? Well, because I've got all the data that I need. I can see the full trace of this thing. So that's what I mean by execution trace. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, there are some other libraries. There is also the um, reframe HTTP uh, FX, right? Yes, yes. And then there is also uh, Recom, and I think Recom doesn't get enough love, if you will, or enough uh, acknowledgement mm. in the community. I agree with you. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's a very. Uh, what's interesting is for us, we were, I mentioned before, we we're coming from the Flash world, and so we we're mm -hmm. coming from the Flash world, and we just had such beautiful um, layout primitives in in um, in flash they gave us this hbox vbox type of world where um uh you know where we were just uh, so much of the horror that is um normal uh, dom you know uh, layout rules were hidden from us mm -hmm. inside of flash and so at about the same, at about this time there was also flexbox was also starting to be enough of a standard that we felt like we could rely on it, certainly if our clients were on on um, Chrome. And luckily with our clients, we can uh, require them to use particular browsers so we don't have to deal with the retail world. We're more enterprisey, and so we can actually say to our clients, look, if you're going to use our software, you've got to use Chrome. And so Chrome started to have very good um, at that time Flexbox. And so we looked at Flexbox and we sort of thought, okay, if we go all in on Flexbox, can we get a sane layout model going? Because there's just no way I want to use what the browser is going to give me generally because it's rubbish. I, I, you know, I've, 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 I've lived in a beautiful world of Flash and I'm now coming to this horror world of inconsistencies and, you know, I, I can't go backwards. Um, so uh, we created Recom. And probably the best thing about Recom is really we've got a VBox HBox sort of layout paradigm going, and that's probably the best part of Recom. We've also got a bunch of widgets. You know, we've got a drop-down list and, you know, date widgets and all of that sort of stuff. But really the best thing probably in Recom is its layout model. Um, if you're using Reagent, it's very Flexbox related, but where at one time we had to warn people off about, well, don't use this library if you've got to go to the retail web, these days, Flexbox, you know, it's it's five years later and, and these days Flexbox is everywhere and the implementations are very good. So probably Recom, certainly the V you know, the Vbox, Hbox layout side of it should probably get more love, I think, because I think it's yeah, just saves you so much grief um, just with a simple layout model for your widgets. Right. Hmm. So we could say that Recom is like the UI library for Reframe with uh, Bootstrap on top? Yeah, we use Bootstrap, uh, but um, that's because Bootstrap was big at that time. Look, we honestly, we have uh, different widgets ourselves in our own private libraries, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, and we actually don't use Bootstrap now ourselves. We use, uh, you know, a sort of a theme that we call Blue Modern, but that's our own. But sort of, yeah, it uses Bootstrap, and that's entirely reasonable. And uh, it still looks pretty good all these years later. It's good enough. So, uh, yeah, that, that's for the look and feel of the widgets themselves. Mm -hmm. But like mm -hmm. I said, the HBox, VBox, box layout stuff is almost independent of what widgets you shove into it. So, yeah, I, I, you know, there's, there's a lot of great widget libraries out there from many people much bigger than ourselves. But, um, you know, certainly if you're producing, certainly if you're producing kind of enterprise 
type applications possibly for you know inside of companies where you don't need an exceptionally high level of of uh, polish you just need a pretty good level of polish I, I reckon recom's a pretty good way to go certainly mm. works well for us right yeah. um, so as we're going through it uh, do you regret anything regarding reframe oh yeah yeah you don't get to write a piece of software and then have it out in the world and then and then the world gives you constant paper cuts about what you could have done better I, I'd love to re I'd love to do reframe too um, uh, mind you, there's, there's a bunch of small things I'd like to do just to improve reframe a bit. And, and actually, it's getting to the point soon where I, I'm actually going to have time to do that. I must admit, I, I, look, one of the nice things about both Reagent and Reframe is that they have stood up to multiple years of without change uh, we haven't really had to change it very much, and, and that's kind of a nice thing. But the, it, it like Reagent's just a wonderful bit of software. Like you know, you like it got written. It got I think it had a second release about a month after it first came out, and seriously, since then it has virtually not changed at all. We um, I had to fix some bugs to do with cursor positioning at one point, and but like really within a month or two of it getting written, it hardly changed again. In four years, I mean that's miraculous for a piece of, you know, browser technology. True. Um, yeah. It just absolutely nailed it. Uh, Dan did so, um, uh, and Reframe has been pretty unchanging. Also, certainly for the last couple of years, doesn't mean a couple of things shouldn't change. Um, so, for example, you know, one of the things I've become more and more aware of that I really should have done was the ability to add interceptors. Um, global interceptors, inject global interceptors. I kind of resisted that for a while. In fact, there's an FAQ entry which sort of says why it's not there. But in more recent times, I've been convinced that that's a, probably a, a mistake. So that's a small thing that I'd like to add in. Um, one other thing, this relates how Reframe works with um, Reframe works with Reframe 10x. I would love it if we if we move to a world in which we had to kind of define our, um, uh, how do I describe this? Uh, at the moment you have to register event handlers and you have to register interceptor. Oh, you don't actually register interceptors, do you? But you have to register event handlers and effect handlers and all that. I would love it if you actually had to register sort of views. So you know, imagine reg view and then you give a, uh, a keyword and then under that the render function. Because um, what that would do is that would mean that um, the data that you generate for views becomes even more data. At the moment, you can end up with functions as the first um, element in vectors. Uh, anyone, uh, this is going to make no sense to anyone who doesn't know Reframe, but sort of if you do know Reframe, uh, Reframe because we're using Reagent, the first element of various vectors is how we indicate kind of what component is going in there. But imagine if instead of a function name, we actually had a keyword there which represented the, um, the function that, or the view that should be used rather than a function. It means that we end up with more data and less functions, which helps us in like with something like Reframe 10x, you know, and now we've got even more, it's just more pure data and less code and that's just got to be a good thing. So I'd like to sort of, for example, do that. That's a change to reagent, but you know, the worst case, we could monkey patch reagent to make that happen. So, um, and then put in a PR to sort of see that change. So, 
Um, that's another change I'd like to make. Um, ooh, there's there's probably a bunch of smaller things. Um, probably the most interesting thing I think is kind of reframe two, you know, which would probably not be backwardly compatible, which is something that I've um, I've avoided doing because um, mm-hmm. uh, you know there's got to be a lot of benefit to creating something not backwardly compatible. Got to be a lot of benefit to doing that. So because it's always that's just a pain, right? So um, let's just see. Pro- pro- I'm not sure if this will be part of reframe two or whether it could be made to be part of reframe, but probably the thing that I've put the most thought into over a period of time, somewhat unsuccessfully, has been how to fit in finite state machines or the finite state equivalent to reframe. Um, the uh, big, uh, Imagine that we have an event mm-hmm. and that event has to get processed so that the user clicked a button and we now have an event saying the user clicked the button and they want to delete this item. So we have an event handler to handle that. Now, I'd regard that as fairly low-level logic. There's normally the higher-level logic, which is, you know, why are we even in this screen and have they logged in yet and has the user logged in yet and, you know, should this button in the top right be, um, uh, which, uh, uh, for example, if this was a, a buying sort of screen, uh, you know, have that has the user put some items into the uh, uh, shopping cart yet? If they haven't, then we, this button up the top right should not be even um, enabled, which allows them to go to the checkout screen or something. So there, there, there's a lot of state in an application, which is to do, uh, which is kind of what I'll call higher level, sta- higher level state, which is um, cha- uh, capturing the overall state of the application, and. It, mm-hmm. Even if we, even at a low level, if we just do an HTTP request, that's a very, you know, you, you, you make the request, you might get an error back, you might get success, we're pending, uh, maybe you've had to retry. There's all these small states that we go through. And we know that sort of modeling these as a finite state machine is generally a good idea because it tends to flush out all the corner cases and um, it allows, you know, it stops us using a thicket of, uh, of predicates and if-then-else statements and forces us to think things through. So we kind of all know that finite state machines are a, uh, there's a lot of inherent good in them. Um, but how do we work that in with reframe? And um, to be honest, I, I did a whole lot of reading on this at one time and I kind of almost came to the conclusion that instead of finite state machines, we should be using behaviour trees because the games industry has run a large experiment really on hierarchical finite state machines for, you know, for a decade. And, um, yeah, the, what, what you have to do, I'm not very much of a, I've never written games, but sort of got a lot of respect for the games world because that, uh, that is a brutally difficult competitive world where there's high selection pressure, you know, the gaming world. Um, so, what survives in that world has really had to earn its stripes. What technology survives in that world has really had to earn its stripes. To be honest, I live in a much kinder world where I can afford to make mistakes with my GUIs and that sort of stuff, and I'm not going to be too harshly, um, and the performance of my application, I'm not going to be too harshly judged. But if I was writing games, you know, and, uh, you know, I have a small amount of lag, I'm, I'm, I'm in trouble, right? So that's a very hard selection pressure going on in games, and that tends to really float technologies to the uh, good technologies to the um, to the top. 
they have what are called over there, they have um, non-player entities. Uh, that's mm-hmm. not right, the quite right term. What is it? Uh, non, yeah, not NPEs, non-player entities, which are kind of like robots that have to wander around on the inside of the games and do things like chase after you and try and kill you if you, you know, you enter their territory and all that sort of stuff. Um, these are like little robots, right? And so to model the behaviour of those non-player entities, they... Uh, there's been within the games world there's been this sort of do we use hierarchical state machines do we use and one of the things that's that's succeeded greatly in that world is behavior trees and okay when i uh, better than hierarchical finite state machines so uh, there's other technologies which work but sort of behavior trees seem to to really really sort of have worked well so when i look at an application I almost imagine it to be like a robot that is working on my behalf. When I click on a button, imagine my application kind of says, you know, uh, yes, master, how, you know, how can I serve? Oh, you press that button. Let me go and do this, right? So I find it a useful mental model to imagine the web application as a robot that you know it you know it knows for example if i click a button that it has to go off and it has to get some data from the server and if that data request fails then it knows it's got to tell me and you know imagine it as a robot and so i almost imagine it as a you know a non player entity in a game almost it's 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 running a script if you like and the games industry has already found that behavior trees look like a very effective way of doing that so I would love to figure out a way to utilize some of what they have found out, you know, use that. One of the lovely things about behavior trees is also you represent kind of logic in data structures, and that is a very familiar thing to closure closure script programs. Anyway, so one of these days I'm going to have an epiphany and realize how on earth to do all of this, and that's going to be part of reframe too, I think. Right. <laughs> You know, you know, we are still waiting for Reframe 1, right? Yeah. <laughs> How do you get started with Reframe? Uh, depends if you want to focus on just the, uh, the GUI side of things, just the SPA side of things. If you do, we have something called Reframe Template, the Reframe Template. If you just Google for that, you'll find that's a Linegan template. It gets you going pretty quickly. You know, it, it gets you know, reframe 10x in there and you can add recom that we were talking about before or you can add all uh, garden for CSS. So it's it's a pretty good way if you're not familiar with reframe, but probably even more so if you're not familiar with ClojureScript, it's a good way to mm-hmm. um, uh, begin. On the other hand, if you're writing, you know, you need a back end and you want to see uh, perhaps the back end and the front end together, then then possibly uh, Euxos's, um, uh Luminous is a good place to start. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, he provides a, a way where you can get a, a pretty good um, structure um, very quickly. So there'll be an application front end that's reframe and there's a back end which you get to choose what that's going to be, but that's a good place to start as well. Um one thing I would say is that there's the, the reframe readme, uh, but there's also a docs area. I'd encourage everyone to go through the docs. I, I do find sometimes that people have read the reframe readme and then they just charge off at that point. And there's there's probably a lot of good information in docs that you're going to have to know before you can get too far. 
So, yeah, definitely read the docs. Uh, there's also courses such as um, your own on Reframe. Uh, depending upon your background, it kind of can be a very good way of uh, getting going. Um, uh, there's some other commercial resources. Uh, but, yeah, Luminous if you want front and back end and Reframe template if you just want the front end only is a good way to go. Probably the best way to start. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if I have any questions or if I need any support? <clears throat> yeah, the, look, the, the Closure and Closure Script community seems a little bit fractured these days, but sort of we're uh, in, perhaps not too much, but we're certainly in Closurian's Slack a lot. So there's a reframe channel in Closurian's Slack. Um, mm -hmm. uh, there's a reframe channel. There's also a reagent channel where um, you can get answers on specifically on reagent. There's also a closure script channel. Um, there's channels for things like Shadow CLJS if you're having trouble with that, etc. So there, there's a lot of technical, technically specific sort of channels in Closurians. That's probably a good place to start. start. Um, other people also use. I'm aware that Discord gets used, but and and of course. It seems as if most of the closure and closure script world, we don't really seem to use um, uh, Stack Overflow very much. Although, you know, some people ask questions there, but it just doesn't seem like there's the same number of people uh, mm -hmm. ready to supply answers over there. So Closureians is certainly, in my opinion, the best place to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I can just ask. There is also ask.closure.org. Uh, and then... yeah. Yes, yeah. Oh. So this is, I think this is run by uh, the Cognitic guys. Oh, um, right. See, yeah, we, we have got a little bit fractured, haven't we? And, uh, like yeah. the, you know, there's, uh, yeah, it's a bit all over the place, but I, I do feel like the center of mass is uh, Closurian somehow. I one, of, one of these days as a community, we're going to have to uh, figure that out. Right. So you don't yes, give people I... multiple places to go. Mm. All right. Uh, would there be anything else that we should talk about when we talk about Reframe? I think uh, if if somebody's never seen Closure Script or Closure or Closure Script before, probably the most interesting part about Reframe from their point of view is that it's got a data oriented design. So that's it's one of the amazingly powerful ideas that is within Closure that is most other people in other technologies appear to be fairly blind to. I mean, I was certainly fairly blind to data-oriented um, design before I came across the closure and closure script, and it's kind of a bit difficult. I, I struggle a bit to describe it to people, but if you are new to if you are new to closure and closure script and don't have much of a background in it, then reframe might give you a sense of it because you know I think the reframe probably does have a pretty good data-oriented design. Um, so uh, yeah. That, that 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 is certainly one reason why you might want to be, why you might be interested in reframe. Um, you'll get a deeper sense of that. Um, uh, yeah, I can't think of much else I should say about reframe. I don't think. If you find this podcast valuable, there are many ways you can support it. You can review it on iTunes or any other platform you're listening to. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can blog about it, discuss it on your own podcast, and you can support it directly by buying my video courses and learning ClojureScript and Clojure at my website, jacekshe.com. That's J-A-C-E-K-S-C-H-A-E.com. Thank you for your support of this show.